Guys, welcome back. This is episode seven of Build Your Instincts with David Crane and Lachlan Simpson. This episode we cover on supplements. So we cover our top three. We wanted to give you guys just some really clear and simple information to sort of start a good foundation with supplementation. It's a massive industry and it can be very, very confusing with what is actually useful, what's safe, and am I just wasting my money? So we kind of just wanted to bring some clarity with this one and give you our top three. We've got some honorable mentions in there as well. We cover things like protein dosages, how we use our favorite supplements, so how we sort of dose them and what protocols we use, and also some stuff to steer clear of um, in regards to you know, what might be sort of leading you astray with supplements as well. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review or rating on either Apple or Spotify. And you can reach out via Instagram. Our handles are in the show notes or you can hit us up at instinct-coaching.com. Enjoy the episode, guys. This is the Build Your Instincts podcast with David Crane and Lachlan Simpson. Let's jump in. So today we're chatting about supplements, what our top three are, and some stuff that may be worth mentioning as well, but um, is maybe slightly more anecdotal. The uh, the big thing with supplements, I think that a lot of people sort of trip over to start with is that they're using them to sort of solve a problem that's more a band-aid to maybe like a lifestyle thing that they could really easily fix through looking at lifestyle factors. But the unfortunate nature with the supplement industry is it really hangs on a lot of people's pain points. And I know, Lockie, that's like something you've brought up with before and you're really good at educating people on. Um, but it is a wild west out there for sure with supplements. So today we're going to work on just bringing some clarity, just keeping it really simple and, yeah, sort of sharing our experience with the stuff that has moved the needle for us. Lockie, what is your, we're going to go three to one. So a number, a grand finale is going to be the best. What's your number three? Um, are we going to start, we'll start with creatine. Yeah, let's do that. Let's start yeah. with creatine. Yeah. They're all pretty, for me, I suppose the three, two, one, they're all pretty much on par, except for number one. Oh, you think so? I'm going to say that the number one is probably, we'll leave that for a bit of a drum roll effect. But, okay. All right. Number one's definitely more important than the other two but in terms of impact i would say that yeah kind of on par in my eyes um yeah, yeah. Right. so number number one or number one which is number three is going to be creatine um and mainly i i look at creatine as being probably the most one of the most researched supplements um on the market it's been like tested like I was looking at studies, there's like over three to there's like three to five hundred studies on creatine and performance comparatively to other supplements that don't have anywhere near that. So there's a lot of research um, to suggest its efficacy, um, and there's around like around like seventy percent of those studies report a statistically significant impact on performance, and mainly it's looking at. There's a whole host of different things that it's looking at, but um, the main one would be increasing power and strength output from like roughly five to 15%. So it's a pretty notable increase in performance um, through taking creatine. Um, but yeah, maybe we can talk about like what, 
creatine actually is because I think so many people get super confused with this. And I still remember back at school, there was like one dude who was in year 10. I was like in year eight or something. And he just came to the school. And I think he made the first, like the rugby team in year 10. And everyone was like, he was jacked. And everyone was like, oh, he's on creatine. He's on creatine. <laughs> and then, and then I remember Steroids. Someone, someone saying like, yeah, but he's just full of water. That's all creatine is. It's just water. <laughs> And I think that, yeah, there's so much miscommunication around what creatine is, what it does, um, heaps of confusion. Um, and yeah, I'm sure a lot of people have stories of people, yeah, talking about creatine or telling them what it does and it just being completely misinformation. <laughs> Basically, if you're a male and you've done any type of gym training at some point, you've probably thought creatine was a steroid or someone's accused you of taking steroids when you're taking creatine. Um, but yeah, the one of the things with creatine is it does increase intracellular fluid. So like, or, um, particularly water. Um, so it does essentially bring your, your water weight up in like, so your body mass will essentially go up, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like uh, definitely for hydration and just like, athletic performance that can be a really good thing but yeah definitely like i remember i think one of the first times i took creatine or like um it was in like some pre-workout i was taking when i was in high school and like i think <laughs> like gained like six kilos or something like maybe there was something else in it i'm not sure but <laughs> but like yeah it was like it was pretty dramatic but it, it definitely then when i like cycled off it um or like stopped taking it effectively the water weight went down and I unfortunately realized it was just a lot of fluid. That was water. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is something worth noting. If you are taking creatine, uh, it will essentially increase fluid retention. Um, so just making sure that you are hydrated enough and, and having like, you know, enough water through the day is just going to, going to cover that because it can cause some um, digestion issues if you don't have enough water. As far as what creatine actually is, is it's effectively uh, an amino acid, but what we're trying to do when we're um, supplementing with creatine is we're increasing our phosphocreatine pool um, in our bodies, which is stored in our um, muscle tissue and liver. So when we're doing that, we're basically um, ma like making it more available to produce more energy kind of thing. I'm trying to think about like the simplest way to say this because it does get a bit convoluted, yeah. I think. Um, like for any um, output of energy, so for any cellular yeah. um, energy generation process, phosphocreatine is an essential part of that pathway. So the more, you basically yeah. say like the more circulating phosphocreatine, the larger the pool is, the more available energy you're going to be able to produce because you have more of that phosphocreatine available. Yeah, exactly. Because it's involved in that ATP Krebs cycle, right? So, yeah. so yeah, when we're supplementing with creatine, we can get creatine through food as well, through meats. Um, I believe it's in fish as well, um, which is a meat, I guess. Um, maybe it's not someone fact checking me on that. Seafood. Red meats, is, seafood, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Red meats is the main thing. Um, but yeah, we're just basically increasing our phosphocreatine pool, making it easy for us to... Um, to recycle energy, but also have more available energy for high intensity exercise. There are also, also some really good um, neuroprotective uh, effects of creatine, which is more in the contemporary literature around creatine that's coming out. 
um, which basically suggests that it does, it can protect against um, some like neurodegenerative diseases as well, which is really good. Um, and as you said, it's really well researched. It's generally really well tolerated by a massive group of the population. Um, and it's really cheap as well. So it's a really easy, easy one for us to recommend because it's cheap. It has a really low side effect profile. Um, it's really safe. And generally, if you're chasing any kind of athletic performance that involves moving and um, energy per se, then it's gonna it's gonna help with that, but particularly the like higher intensity um, stuff, it will really help with that. So like power based sports and things of that nature. What about dosage? Um, what's your dosing dosage protocol for creatine? Um, I have seen so many different protocols around it. Generally, they either involve like a loading period at the start of it's like one to two weeks of a loading period and then going back to a maintenance dose of like five grams a day. So it might be like 15 to 20 grams a day for a week and then five grams a day from that portion on. Um, but I, for most people, I'd just recommend them taking around 10 grams a day from the start and that, because it just builds up in, it accumulates over time. So it, you kind of end up at the same point anyway. So anywhere from like, yeah, 10 to 15 grams a day. Yeah. And um, also worth noting, creatine is one of those supplements that relies on saturation, not timing. So things like um, caffeine is so like something that relies on timing. Oh, but I've been saturating my caffeine. <laughs> well, we'll get to that in a moment. But um, creatine is, it doesn't really matter when you take it. Um, as, as Lockie said, as long as you've got the, the stores in your muscle tissue and it's saturated, um, you can have it whenever, as long as you're taking it regularly. So that'd be every day. Um, you don't really need to worry about when you're taking it kind of thing. Um, so yeah, just whenever's convenient. So if I'm going out to like, I've listened to this, I want to get my Creo on. Where do I go? We, we obviously aren't affiliated with any um, supplement companies, but where, where would you recommend people go? And what would you recommend them to buy? Because there's like a different... It's a few different types of creatine, some are more expensive, some are cheaper. What are we getting? Where are we getting from? Yeah, good question. So creatine monohydrate is basically the sort of industry standard. It's the most simple form of creatine. Um, that basically just means you're just getting creatine. There are other compounds which are bonded to other molecules, so um, like creatine nitrate, things like that. But effectively, they all boil down to the same uh, same compound um, at the end of the day, which is going to be creatine uh, monohydrate. So going and getting it, I'd probably just say like, again, because it's so easily available and it's so cheap, um, probably just going and like supporting your local supplement store, um, just getting them to hook you up with like just a creatine monohydrate. You can obviously find the line. It's, as I said, it's like, it's really, really available. But just looking for something that's, from, probably from a brand that's um, like reputable. So it's not like, um, so you know that it is, uh, it hasn't been taken with anything. <laughs> it's not got steroids in or whatever. Um, Dirty Dave's Creo. <laughs> yeah, well, link in the show notes for that one. Um, but yeah, just something that you know is from a good uh, company um, and that's cheap as well. You don't need to be paying tons of money for creatine for sure. Sweet. What's number two? Number two is going to be protein and um, our sort of favorite protein powder is whey protein. Um, the 
premise of this is basically like with supplementing whey protein uh, or any type of protein powder, really all we're doing here is we're increasing our protein intake. So it is worth mentioning before we jump into this, if you've got a really high protein intake through just normal foods and your diet, it isn't really doesn't really make any sense to be supplementing with whey protein. Um, there are some advantages of having consuming whey protein over like protein in a steak um, that like if you're training or if you're doing multiple events in a competition or something like that, you might want to consider, which we'll jump into. Um, but yeah, whey protein, uh, basically just a, a protein powder. Um, that's the, again, like another supplement that's really well researched, again, really well tolerated. Um, really low side effect profile um, and it's pretty easy to get. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that's the biggest one. It's making sh- sure that people understand that it's it's not doing anything other than just being a really easily like affordable, available and absorbable protein option. Like, yeah. To make it easier to hit your base needs of protein for a day. Um, and yeah, like I've had periods where I've, I've used it and it's generally around when I'm training a fair bit and getting full meals in is a fair bit harder. Um, but then I've also had periods where I've not had any at all because I'm not training as much and I can get most of my protein from just regular food sources. So I think that's, um, definitely something to consider because I do know a lot of people that have become very heavily dependent on protein powders um, almost to the absence of good quality, real protein sources, real foods. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's a great example of probably when it's not useful to be relying on it or supplementing with it is if, if you're just constantly substituting it for meals or you're sort of using it as a way just to get your protein intake in without, and like you're missing a full meal and you're uh, mm. like, you're missing a lot of those nutrients that you would get in a full meal. Um, on the flip side where it would be useful instead of a full meal would be, as I mentioned earlier, like if you're competing at a event, let's say it's a CrossFit competition or even some endurance sports um, where you need to have minimal blood in your digestive system mm. as possible. And you need to be um, like recovering and, and also performing at a really high level, then you don't want to be spending a lot of time and energy pulling blood yeah. from your extremities yeah. into your digestive, digestive system. So whey protein, whey protein isolate specifically as well as a really, basically like a really chopped up, really refined um, milk byproduct that's going to be really easily digested. And even now, like a lot of um, protein powders will have digestive enzymes put in there as well to sort of aid with that. So that's a good application, but as you said, there is also um, some things to consider if you're just relying on it to replace meals. Um, what about, so if we're talking about just broadly uh, protein intake, what are some general guidelines you sort of start people with um, if they are confused where they should be like having that protein in there or not, or, sorry, adding that protein in rather? Yeah, I think the main things there is like, a, where are they at currently, like how much are they currently consuming? And then B, what's their goal or their objective with their health lifestyle training? Um, if they have a goal of putting on muscle mass and say, um, look at their, their food intake and they're probably eating like one gram per kilo of um, body weight, one gram of protein per kilo. Um, 
I would be encouraging them to go up towards like for muscle gain, anywhere, anywhere from like 1.8 to 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight um, for general like health and well-being. So they just want to like maintain body weight. They just want to feel like they're recovering from sessions and can still train at intensity that they would like to be training at anywhere from like 1.4 to 1.8 is probably more realistic. Um, so then it'd be like going back from there and say that individuals like having yeah 0.8, maybe they would benefit from supplementing with a whey protein powder to make it more achievable to get closer to those baseline standards. Yeah. And worth noting there as well, like um, protein is really important for bone density as well. So mm. if you are, I think the minimum is like 90 grams per day. So if you're under that, then you are putting yourself at risk um, of like degrading that bone density, but also uh, one or 90 grams or 1.4 grams per kilo, whichever one is lower. Um, but 1.4 grams would be per kilo body weight would be like the really lower limit. And then again, like it's, it's very well tolerated. So you can go really high protein if you want but there's not really any point probably past, like, as you said, about 2.2 grams for most athletic ap- applications. Mm. Um, particularly guys, like, I think there's a bit of a, maybe not as much anymore, but like certainly with like the bodybuilding worlds and like, uh, you know, we've both done like bodybuilding training. Um, I, at remember, some point. I remember some guy, <laughs> I was at um, a seminar with Ben Pekulski and there was this, right. old, I remember the dude's name. There was an old school bodybuilder there. Ah, oh, uh, his name's his name's lost on me, and he was like half presenting with Pekulski, and um, I remember him saying so. I can't remember ex- the exact figure, but it was like something like four point five times <laughs> kilo of body weight. He's like, yeah, that is a lower limit. And I was like, what? He was eating like six hundred to seven hundred grams of protein a day. Dude, I fuck, I couldn't even like physically do that. Like that, I would. <laughs> I would just be uh, like my entire full-time job would just be eating steaks to try and achieve that. That is like, that is just like, like atrocious, but yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I was about to say is like, there is, um, there, there is a lot of misinformation around protein, say, particularly with young males. And I think a lot of that's been fed from the supplement industry. So protein intake is really important for health for everyone. Um, but you don't need to be taking like exorbitant amounts to, to, um, be healthy and also to, to recover from the gym and also to build muscle. Like if you're a male listening to this or, or a female looking to improve your muscle mass, then it doesn't need to be like, what did you say? 4.5 grams. Something like that. Yeah. I'll have to find it. Cause it was insane. I think Jesus everyone kind of like gasped in the room when he said how much protein. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Probably that. And just like straight, like just trend blown or something or like, yeah some kind of uh some yeah. kind of other compound that would uh, work up today but yeah the last thing um that i wanted to touch on with protein uh obviously if you're not having a whey protein um whey protein is kind of like the things we come with the thing we're coming back to because it's generally like the industry standard in terms of quality um but if you are looking at like a, a pea protein or like a vegetarian option sorry or a vegan option rather so like rice proteins there are some really good ones out there the only thing to consider there is the biological value isn't as good with like the vegetable vegetable proteins. So biological value is effectively just how much you can actually absorb and digest versus like what's actually just um, going through your body and being excreted. So whey protein has a much higher biological value than like a pea protein or a rice protein or something like that. So just bear in mind that um, you 
you won't be getting as much as good of an amino acid profile with vegetable based proteins that you do with um, dairy or meat based proteins. Yeah, that's good. You kind of just covered what I was going to say. I was going to say, what do I do if my protein powder is making me fart all the time? <laughs> uh, just go to a different room for a while and take care of yourself. <laughs> Double down, take extra. <laughs> yeah, just keep taking it. Yeah. Keep taking it until your gut, your gut microbiome is submitted to the fact that you're just having so much protein. <laughs> uh, no, that's actually yeah. a good point. I think like um, if you are getting like or stomach issues from your whey protein, look at the quality, uh, look at the composition. So if it's like a whey protein concentrate, that's not as refined as an isolate. Um, really with like if someone's thinking about it right now, okay, I'm going to go buy some protein. Like what am I looking for? It's really just something that's, like has just a really high percentage of protein. So just really clean and like nothing else, basically. That's what you're sort of aiming for. Like obviously a good flavor if you care about that, but you don't want to have like different um, fortified other proteins in there as well or yeah. um, flavors and um, colors and shit like that. Yeah, there's some, there's, there are some like real simple, basic good ones out on the market now that are generally from like grass-fed cows. They have like natural sweeteners and um, yeah, there's very minimal ingredients in that. So that's, that'd be my recommendation, making sure it's coming from, particularly for the whey stuff is like coming from the highest quality dairy you can afford. Um, and it's also, yeah, not got heaps of other shit in it. Mm. Um, For sure. All right. Yeah. The drum roll. Number one. <laughs> All right. Uh, number one. Big one for, I mean, it's probably no surprise, is going to be caffeine. So our, our favorite. Um, yeah, I mean, where do we start? I love caffeine. It's great. It's how I um, find joy in my life and how I'm doing this podcast today. So it's caffeine is one of those ones, uh, if, like probably the most, I think it is actually the most researched supplement on the planet. Um, most of us are just going to get it through some coffee or tea, which is fantastic. Um, but there are some things to consider with caffeine timing, dosage, um, and also just things around your sleep and stuff like that. You just got to be careful of. So first of all, what is caffeine? Um, a caffeine is essentially an adenosine blocker. So as you, when you wake up, as you sort of start going about your day and doing stuff, you do start to build up this, like what's called, I guess known as like sleep pressure or, um, adenosine pressure. Um, and what, and that just sort of accumulates through the day and it's why you sort of start to get drowsy and more fatigued in the afternoon. When you consume caffeine, what caffeine does is it stops that adenosine from acting on um, or it stops that adenosine from being reuptake, reuptake to your brain. Reuptaken, thank you. Um, so that you, um, you don't feel like you've been up for that long and you can also have those like um, you can feel more alert and feel more awake when you have it. The negative side to that is that the adenosine actually doesn't go anywhere in your brain. It just sort of spins around, I guess, um, hangs out whatever part of the brain um, that it wants to hang out in. But then once the caffeine starts to wear off, you do get that cascade of adenosine coming back in. So the thing with caffeine is like timing and dosage is really important because if you're getting, if you're someone who's like consuming caffeine, um, either, you know, through whatever source, pre-workout, 
coffee, tea, whatever, and you're getting like a massive crash from it, then you're probably not timing it well with your circadian rhythm through the day or you're having it at the wrong time so that you're getting that big crash from that adenosine. It's sort of like doubling up and creating this like a lot of fatigue, which at the end of the day isn't a bad thing, right? But we just want to make sure that it's actually managed through the day so we can manage our energy as well. Mm. Um, in terms of dosage, um, there are some pretty extreme dosages we can go to with caffeine that are documented <laughs> well tolerated. I've seen like, so I was, I was looking this up before um, and I've, I've read about a lot before as well, but the, in terms of like, if we're looking at this through the lens of athletic performance, um, we can look at like somewhere between three to six milligrams per kilo of body weight, which is actually a lot um, <clears throat> of caffeine. Uh, what's, I've the seen average, some, what's the average espresso? I think it'd be like 80 to 100 milligrams of yeah, caffeine. Right. Um, for the average espresso or double espresso, oh. I guess. Wow, I was just doing some quick maths there. Damn. <laughs> I can pop my intake up. Yeah, I was. <laughs> Lockie's just discovered that you can have a lot more espresso. So that's good. <laughs> For me. Um, but yeah, you can have, I've seen like if you're genetic, um, if you've got like a like a really high tolerance to it um, genetically, then you can go up to like nine milligrams per kilo of body weight, which is like astronomical to me. But I think the most useful thing here for people to take away would be um, because you do build up a tolerance to it as well. It would be starting around that like one cup of coffee sort of realm per day um, and then seeing how that tolerate, like how that affects you through the day, but then also how it affects your sleep and stuff like that. Probably not jumping straight into like, okay, I'm going to start with three milligrams per kilo of body weight kind of thing. It's probably not a useful thing to start with. Yeah. One thing that I'll just add on there is this is just from my, my experience is um, I find coffee. This is like kind of just a bit of self experimentation, but it's worked with a fair few other people that I've spoken to is making sure that you have available fuel for the caffeine to burn through um so meaning like basically try and have some form of food when you are having coffee like i've spent a lot of time in the past where i'd wake up and just have like going to going to coach and i'd have a black coffee and then that'd be just like on repeat for days on end um and i wouldn't eat and for to like two or three hours after that and it creates a very high stress response um mm. as a result um like can impair like impact things like cortisol and create a lot of like negative impacts on the stress hormones. So um, one thing that can be easily implemented if you are still going to do that as a strategy is making sure you're having food with it. Um, and that's something that's where like the idea of the bulletproof coffee came from, like mm. making sure that there's like fats and in some cases carbohydrates for the coffee to go with or the caffeine to go with so that there's something fit to metabolize there's fuel for it to burn through. Yeah. And that's, that's generally because like if we're having caffeine um, because it is like a psychoactive compound um, and it promotes alertness, like if we're just having caffeine and it's acting on dopamine and cortisol and things like, like hormonal responses, we also want to make sure that we're getting some, glucose or um if we're having fats like some um other nutritional based fuels as well so we're not just getting that like 
um, nervous system arousal and running on like nervous system energy versus nutritional based energy. Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> my only other question there would be what's your most preferable source of caffeine? How do you, how do you like to take your, your supplement? <laughs> my supplement, my drug of choice, mate. I was saying to you earlier, there is nothing better in life than waking up in the morning and just pulling a lovely, delicious double shot of espresso. Um, mm. It's definitely the best. But yeah, I think like it, it is definitely coffee for sure. Um, there's been times in my life where I've taken, like, gone through phases of taking pre-workout or intermittently taking it or, or whatever. Um, there are different forms of caffeine as well, which like caffeine anhydrous is usually the most common, common one you get with pre-workouts, but I found particularly with me and a lot of the guys I work with, um, I, I rarely am at a point where I'm recommending pre-workouts as a form of, um, caffeine. Cause just like stimulants can be really double-edged sword in terms of like, are they actually improving performance or are they degrading performance um long term as well generally speaking it's going to be improving performance in the short term but then degrading performance in the long term so yeah. it's just really important to think about like if you're someone who's listening to this and you're like having red bull and like with your pre-workout or something like that um just consider like is that band-aiding like a, a massive um hole you've got with your lifestyle management in terms of performance and your recovery um, or is it like actually well managed and maybe you are someone who can just tolerate really high amounts of caffeine, which they, they do exist. Um, but it's, you know, you've got to, we've got to be considering like if we're coaches as well and we're, um, recommending stimulants to an athlete, someone we're working with, like, do they, uh, like, are we taking care of the health of that individual as well? Not just like driving performance outcomes. So whether it's with, for yourself or someone else, like, got to be careful of what's potentially in them if you're an athlete like if you are competing definitely whereas yeah you just have a cup of coffee like you unless someone's spiking you you know you're <laughs> getting what you you're after um yeah i like to have steroids in my coffee in the morning <laughs> personally no i'm just joking i'm just joking um yeah so yeah coffee obviously the main one um I think that's kind of it. Like timing and dosage, I think is key with, with caffeine. So as you mentioned earlier, um, timing, um, probably trying to delay if you wake up, if having in the morning, which I'm assuming most people are having their morning coffee, trying to delay it like 60 to 90 minutes after you wake up. So it is actually acting on that adenosine. Cause if you think about like, if you've just woken up, unless you've got a really mangled sleep cycle, when you just wake up, you don't have any adenosine happening yet. It hasn't built up yet. So if you're having that coffee, um, then it's probably just the like warm liquid and that's increasing your body temperature. It's promoting alertness, but yeah, regardless waiting to like about 90 minutes, 60 minutes, um, having that cup of coffee. Um, and then yeah, dosage wise, just figuring out like where your tolerances are. You might be really sensitive to caffeine, um, given that you do build up a tolerance to it. If you have it over time, start small and then you can build up and sort of manage it from there if, if you like. Yeah. One thing in that process is being, you have to, because it is a, like an addictive substance, you have to be honest with how it's actually making you feel. I think that's... Damn it. I was hoping you wouldn't bring uh, this up. One of the biggest traps that I've fallen <laughs> into and I see it so many times with people that are just coffee addicts is like just convincing yourself that you're okay. <laughs> <And> just, <laughs> 
slamming those brews down. I think it is useful every now and again to take into consideration like how dependent are you on the substance? Um, it's a drug. Like that's something to, to be mindful of. And I think um, like ideally at the end of the day, like you would be able to operate and wouldn't need it to function in your daily life. But I think it's just like, and sometimes it's a supplement. It can be that little extra five, 10% to get you over the line. Um, and yeah, it is also super delicious. So <laughs> that's one factor, but yeah, your performance will definitely go up at least 200% if you buy an espresso machine. Yeah, absolutely. We, we need to get an espresso sponsor on this podcast actually. So if anyone's oh, listening out there and want, want yep. to sponsor us, <laughs> hit us up. We'll double down. It'll be like three episodes a week. Just coffee, coffee episodes. So yeah, to recap with caffeine, um, the form is important, but more so the dosage and the timing. Um, it is really important to, as Lockie just mentioned, just consider like where it actually fits in with the, the realm of performance. There's no question about it. It does help increase athletic performance um, in terms of alertness um, and wakefulness. And just like, even like I've read studies with like pain tolerance or perceived exertion in, uh, in sports as well. So it does help with that. Um, but it, it being a stimulant and being something that is psychoactive um, that's, you know, arousing your nervous system, you just need to make sure you're balancing it and appropriately managing it if you're having it a lot as well. That's our big three. Um, so we've got creatine, protein, um, powder. So that could be a whey isolate is our favorite, but doesn't have to be that. Um, can be other plant proteins, uh, even like beef derived proteins. And then caffeine, that's kind of like the, the gold standard with our, our top three anything you want to add to that stuff no i think yeah maybe just leave it at that that's super well-rounded and like you can see there from they're super basic yeah yeah they're tried and tested um a lot of the other stuff as you said at the start is just really well marketed good looking packages um so yeah you'll unlikely find us you know sporting our new supplement brands on our Insta profiles taking bad boot. <laughs> maybe if it comes our way, maybe we'll, you know, twist the rubber arm, but yeah, it's all really basic stuff, affordable, available, um, and reliable. Yeah. hundred percent. I think, um, yeah, like we both like experimenting with different stuff, um, with like supplements and things like that, but yeah, for the, and like, you know, really just to see like, is there, you know, is this backed up by, you know, what the, what's being sold as. And also like, is there literature supported as well? Um, there's a ton of like anecdotal stuff out there, right? Like I know there's different supplements that I've taken that I think I feel better on, but the other thing to consider there is like placebo is a massive and valid like um, modulator of your sensory experience. So um, yeah, like it, it can be like, you know, if you're taking something at the moment, it's safe and you think it increased your performance, um, not like a illicit substance or whatever. Um, but you know, like it is like, like even like beta alanine or something like that is sort of one that comes to mind. There isn't a ton of literature that supports its use, like efficacy, but I know a lot of people take it and they really think it improves their performance as well. So fair enough, keep taking it. Um, but yeah, as you said, like these top three are kind of the ones that will always gravitate towards pretty much recommending um, to anyone who's interested in um, increasing their their performance or even just their um, 
like training um, management from a recovery perspective as well. Cool. We've got time for two honourable mentions. Um, Lockie, what's your what's another like little one that you might take intimately or um, what's a, what's a fave of yours? Um, one that I've had a little bit of use with in the past is like zinc magnesium complexes. Um, but yeah, like we spoke about prior to this, like generally that just comes down to electrolyte balance, like mineral balance um, and electrolytes, um, which can be like adequately derived from food. I think that's, like if you're getting enough of those things from food, but to be honest with supplementing those things um, without proper blood testing, it's very, very hard to know if you are in a deficit or you actually require it. So like it can be a safeguard just as like a multivitamin could be a safeguard, like zinc, magnesium. Generally, most people would probably benefit from it. But as I said, without proper blood testing, you're not going to actually know if you need it um, or you don't need it. So if you are really curious about that, I would highly recommend getting some like proper blood panels done and then consulting an appropriate practitioner um, to know like, yeah, what other supplements might give you um, a good boost in performance. Yeah. So like the, um, that would be one of mine as well as ZMA, um, which is just zinc and magnesium effectively. And then, yeah, definitely electrolytes. They make a massive difference for me if I'm deficient in it. So um, most people I think that are going to be listening to this are probably going to fall into the category of people who train a lot, um, in which case is it can be really hard to get, particularly magnesium, um, through dietary intake. So that's where we'd probably recommend, especially if you're someone who sweats a lot or you're in hot environments a lot, maybe you live in a really hot climate, um, and you just, or even like doing a lot of endurance training as well, um, you're probably going to be deficient in magnesium in which case supplementing with it would be a really good idea zinc is really important for your immune system which for um people who train a lot um it their immune systems are always going to be compromised a little bit just the, dealing with training load so again that can be one that um i notice a big difference with if i'm in a really high training um cycle uh, and then electrolytes definitely like um it, obviously magnesium being one of those but potassium sodium um, if you're not getting that through your diet, then that's probably one that we've seen um, definitely a noticeable um, performance increase and just even just um, subjectively how I'm feeling. If I've like, even if I've just gone and done like a sauna or something mm-hmm. and then I you know have some electrolytes in my water, like you feel like cognitively, I feel like I feel like a million bucks, like it's great. So um, that'd be one I recommend to people. Yeah. Um- the, the one thing that I did want to add was a really good resource for everything supplement related is the website examine.com, um, which we can probably add in the show notes here, but there's like, you can literally see every supplement um, on the market or like base supplement on the market. Um, and it gives really, really good um, base fundamental um, knowledge and information around that supplement and then also has a ton of links to research articles that have been performed on that substance efficacy in, re- in relation to a host of different things so um, that can like clear a lot of things up for people by just looking at that and like I was going to mention with the magnesium there's so many different forms of magnesium and there's more beneficial forms to be taking than others 
Um, and like looking on something like examine.com would allow you to sift through if you're getting a good quality source of magnesium or insert any other supplement. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend that as a tool for people. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, examine.com, uh, really good, unbiased um, information website regarding like it's just a supplement database effectively and um, they put out a lot of free stuff, which they're really good. And again, as you said, like really easy to read as well. Uh, I think magnesium, it's like the magnesium L3 innate is the best one. Do you know, do you know like what the, the best form of magnesium is in terms of um, like bioavailability bio, bio and stuff? I should, but I always, I always get them confused. I'm not. I think it's three and eight is the, the sort of industry standard at the moment, but I could be wrong on that. So, yeah. Anywho, uh, my last one that I would recommend just as a bit of a side one, again, if you want to sort of play around with it would be L-theanine. So, L-theanine is a, a, I believe it's a, um, it's like a non-proteogenic amino acid. So it's not exactly an amino acid, but it is an amino acid form. Um, it's found in things like green tea and basically it ha- promotes calming effects, um, which can be really good to actually pair with caffeine because the way it kind of works is if you're having L-theanine with caffeine, it can help smooth out some of the jitteriness you might get from caffeine and some of like the anxiety that you might get from really high caffeine dose. So it can be re- like used as a really good nootropic um, to be like sort of give you like a cleaner, um, caffeine high, I guess. Um, I find it really good if I'm doing like big amounts of um, really like singularly focused work or just if I need to get shit done, I guess. Um, and I, it, it tend, for me, it tends to like remove most of that caffeine crash that I get or like a spike and then um, that caffeine crash. So yeah, L-theanine. Uh, again, it's um, really safe. Like I haven't read any uh, side effects that from taking L-theanine, it's tolerated in um, really well in human models. Um, and it can be taken by itself as well, like just as a, um, like a calming effect. Uh, it can have positive effects on sleep as well. Mm. Cool. Any last ones you want to add? No, that's, I think that's pretty comprehensive. As, cool. Yeah, ample there. Sweet. Um, Anything you would suggest with just broadly speaking to avoid with supplements? If someone's walking into a supplement shop, um, is there any thing like things they need to be careful of when purchasing supplements outside the obvious, like don't buy them from someone off the street? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we kind of touched on it with the protein powders. I would be looking at, supplements that like say you are going to go and get l-theanine it's literally just got l-theanine in it i would be looking at like trying to get as close to the base ingredient as possible um and yeah just making sure it's a reputable source so buying the protein the powder the tub of protein powder that's got like a big jack dude on the front and like a thousand different random logos and words like would probably not be my first recommendation so yeah just be critical with that like look for the thing that you're actually after, if it's whey protein, primarily just whey protein. Um, yeah, that'd probably be my, my biggest point of advice. And yeah, everyone's going to have two bobs to give you like their, their own opinion. And um, I think it's 
yeah, about finding things that work for you and, and that are backed as, as we've spoken about by good amounts of research as well. Yeah, that's kind of, that's definitely a good rule of thumb for it is like if something's like really shiny packaging or it's like got really crazy graphics on it or something or it's like really heavily marketed, um, just be wary of that's probably full of like filler stuff that isn't really effective and like the actual effective ingredients are really low. Proprietary blends is kind of the the blanket term for that, but like they basically means they don't need to disclose the amounts of the percentage composition of whatever you're taking. Um, so it might be like really low with what you're actually getting. Yeah. Sweet. And if all else fails, if you're not sure, um, as always, you can hit us up on Instagram at Instinct Health and Performance if you have any questions. Um, or if you're working with a coach, like chat to them first as well. Like, um, is it appropriate to, for me to be taking this? Is this going to be actually useful for me? Um, they're a good point of call, obviously, if you're working with someone who's writing your training. Spot on. Till next time. <laughs>